And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. You can follow all of my running work on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY. Yes, there are other platforms, including JakeNovakNews.com, and I have a LinkedIn page where you'll see my full published articles and columns. But if you follow the Twitter feed, all of that will be linked to, and you'll be alerted to all of it. So it's the easiest one-stop shop, at JakeJakeNY is my Twitter handle. And it has been a busy week. You may have heard me say, maybe last week, maybe in, in the years past, here on the Novak Now program, you've probably heard me say that one of the biggest problems that we have in the news media today is the disappearance of the story count. When I first got into television news in 1994, and when, really up until just a couple of years ago, the drumbeat that you would hear from management types, upper management types in the news business, whether it was television news. Uh, It was the case on the web when the web became a portal for a lot of news delivery in this country. And then, and of course, I'd heard from my colleagues who had worked at newspapers. I'd never worked full-time at a newspaper. I've done a lot of contributing, but I can't say I ever worked full-time in a newspaper newsroom. So, but I I certainly had some important insider knowledge about what went on there. And for all of those platforms, up up until a couple of years ago, the the mantra that used to be drummed into our head was story count, story count, story count. Let's get more stories per hour or half hour if it's a television news program. Let's get more stories on the homepage if we can get it, if it's a web page, because it's a simple case of, of offering a lot of product. If there's one type of story that the viewers and the readers want, They'll, the, you know, that, and it, it's, it depends on who the reader or the, or the viewer is. The chances of he or she seeing what they want to see on the homepage or on your, or during your, your program rises if you give them a, a larger story count. It's as simple as that. And also, you don't want folks saying, well, I'm going to cut short my time on this website or, or not watch all of this news program because it didn't have the story I was interested in or enough stories. Let me move on to something else. Well, that has all been thrown in the garbage just in the last couple of years, mostly because of the mainstream news media's obsession with one story, which is Donald Trump. You know, you can pretend that it's another story. You can pretend that they're talking about COVID-19. You can pretend that they're talking about a particular scandal. But in the end, if the news media is obsessed with the story or focusing on one story for any given amount of time right now in America, it's because they are convinced it makes President Trump look bad. So, I mean, now I don't know for sure. There are some people out there who say if Hillary Clinton were president, we would never even hear about COVID-19. It would have been like the swine flu in 2009, which flew over a lot of our heads, no pun intended, as far, you know, as, far as the word flu is concerned. But in 2009, when Barack Obama was president, we had a lot of deaths from swine flu. I think about double the amount, or maybe, maybe way more than double the amount that we've had so far from COVID-19. But did you remember any major hysteria over it? Not nationwide, there wasn't. So I don't know if I completely agree with that argument that if Hillary Clinton were president or a Democrat were president, the news media would have, you know, we would not have had any panic at all about COVID-19. I'm not sure about that, but I see the argument. And anybody who really understands the news media and really understands the tilt of politics in our public square has to think about that very carefully and wonder if that if that's true or not. I think that there's, a, there's some truth to that. But the fact is, that's my way of saying, look, folks, there would not be a, a laser focus. This I can say with confidence. 
there would not be this kind of laser focus on COVID-19 and the deaths and all of that if it weren't for the fact that most of the news media thinks, I don't know if they're right, in some states they may be wrong, but they, they certainly think that this makes President Trump look bad. Now, again, they may be making a lot of assumptions here. There are some things that the news media thinks make Donald Trump look bad, and they don't. The, for example, the, the sending of federal troops, and troops is a bad word, federal agents, federal officials to kind of break up some of this violence in Chicago and Portland and Seattle. I know a lot of people, including a lot of Republicans, think that that's a bad look for President Trump. I highly disagree. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think it's a very good look for him. But so very often the news media is wrong about this kind of stuff. But the point is, is that there is just such a laser focus on one story for the last couple of years that to the exclusion of all else, and not only has that ruined a good business model that the news media had, which is give us a lot of stories in a short amount of time, but it's also led to their, their corruption. When you're only really covering one story, which is get Donald Trump, then the chances that, pe- that stories are going to be made up, the chances that stories are going to be sensationalized, the chances that stories are going to have all kinds of craziness injected into them that is not any- in any way ethical, rise exponentially. If you only have one story, you're going to go nuts with it, literally. So that has been a big problem, and you've heard me complain about it before, but I don't want to just be a com- someone who complains on the sidelines about things. I'm trying to do something about it. So again, not only do you see a steady stream of a lot of different stories on my Twitter feed, some of which have nothing to do with President Trump or pro or con, by the way. Quite a few of them don't. In fact, most of them don't in the end. But I'm trying to do a little bit more than just post other people's stories or little snippets here and there. And there have been a couple of stories this week that I fully reported on, I fully got fleshed out, thanks to some very highly placed sources for both of these stories that contacted me. Um, You know, one of the good things, you know, you hear about the bad stuff all the time. If you're an editorial columnist like I've been for many years, or someone who writes opinion pieces, or someone who does analysis pieces, or even straight reporting, but especially for the people like me who write analysis pieces or editorials, you always hear about the folks online (laughs) or on Facebook, or, or on Twitter, or anywhere else, or if, through email, who are just going to come and attack you. And that's happened to me plenty. It happens to me plenty. Um, I have to say, happily, on Twitter, for some reason, I've been able to quiet the voices. I don't mind someone criticizing work that I'm doing when they have a specific criticism, especially, and sometimes, it, you know, once in a while, it's legitimate, and I'm willing to either change something I've written or focus on it. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes it happens. Very rarely, but it does happen. Not that, not that I don't make mistakes ever, or, or that it's just that it's very rare that you hear from the peanut gallery of, of, of social media a fair criticism. Um, but for some, for some reason on Twitter, it's been easier for me to quiet the voices of people who just curse at me or you know, make, a, make a com- an, an insulting comment without any actual specifics about any counter-argument they might have. It's just, it's not, you know, I don't engage with those people because I don't. I don't even have to block them. They see that I'm not going to give them the, the petty fight that they're looking for. Facebook, I'm not as lucky. I have a bunch of, you know, there's only one word for this. this I have a bunch of nudniks on Facebook, and I think it's because my Facebook following is, um, tends to be much more from our own community, much more from our fellow Jews, who just, you know, there's always that, you know, you know the old joke, two Jews, three opinions. There's always that nudnik who probably agrees with me, but feels compelled to make a nudniky kind of comment. Um, and I've not, I've been unable to totally purge that from my Facebook, but that's only in the comments. That doesn't show up in the actual post. So if you don't want to see that, you don't have to see that. So 
anyway, I've decided to, you know, I, I've long decided I don't want to just be someone who complains on the sidelines as, oh, they're not covering enough stories. So I'm doing my best to cover what I can under the circumstances, the circumstances being even without COVID-19 lockdowns hindering us in many ways. Uh, you know, I'm not a major network. I can't get into a chopper <laughs> or, or and fly into some of these places that I'm covering. I have to rely on, on people kind of giving me some good information and whatever I can do to confirm it. So in addition to those few people who criticize and are nasty online, I have to say I get a lot of people who, first of all, sometimes they'll, they praise me very nicely. There's plenty of positives that I get from social media. I know a lot of people feel it's mostly negative or all negative. I get a lot of positive feedback from fair-minded people about, about stuff I write, and I've made some connections with incredible people, scholarly people and people who are involved uh, hands-on, some very important stories and, 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 and efforts and causes in this country and in Israel, and in Europe, and, and, all, and in the Middle East. So I've had that positive um, result, and I, and, and I think that that's great. And, and, and I recently just got a, like a long email from someone who had a fantastic economic proposal that I thought was really interesting. So it's not all negative, and, and I, try to, I try to really focus on the positive. But another one of the major positives is that people who read my stuff over a period of time very often, if they are involved in a very interesting story, a story that may, they may only know the real details of, they will contact me. And they'll say, listen, I've I'm, I'm got to be a confidential source. You can't say my name. can't say where I'm, I'm contacting you from. But here's the story. Now, a lot, of time, a lot of times people give me these kinds of stories, and I, I'm unable to follow through as much as I'd like. And I have to tell you, Twice in my career, that has been a tremendous disappointment to me. I had a, a very close friend of mine who, who basically was warning me about a Bernie Madoff-type issue with hedge funds back in the early 2000s. He was telling me, I want to say maybe 2004, and Bernie Madoff, as you recall, kind of happened in 2008. So as early as 2004, I had a friend saying, listen, there are some hedge funds out there that are really sketchy. Uh, I'm very, And he was concerned about the fact that Important charities, universities, including Yeshiva University, he mentioned to me, were investing in these hedge funds that he didn't think that they should ever be investing in. Not because the hedge funds were shady, but because they were hedge funds in the first place. He said, hedge funds, that's not a place where you put a charity or a university's money. And sure enough, when the Bernie Madoff thing hit, and, and I spent a couple of years trying to get that story out there, but it was very hard for me to establish that story without anyone wanting to go on the record. And I don't want to ever burn a source, and I, and I never have. I've never burned a source. I've done a lot of sports reporting, too, by the way, in my connection with the Columbia University football program, which I've been connected with for a long time. I was not a player, but I was an announcer, and I do some recruiting, and I write about the program. And a lot of times, the parents and the players will tell me things that are going on in the program. I never burn a source, and I never burn, and, you know, and, and that means I never tell the name of the player or the parent who ever said anything, even years later. So when you get a reputation as someone who doesn't burn sources, and if people see your work and they like it, you're going to get contacted every once in a while by someone who has fantastic story. And just in the last week, I've had the rare luck to not only have a couple of, that last few weeks, I've had people contact me with amazing stories, but, they've been able, but I've been able to confirm them with either other sources or just with things that have happened in the public, public eye that, that prove what they were telling me was going to happen did happen. So the more important one of those two stories, there have been two stories, and I hate to say that one's more important than the other, because for some people, there'll be no interest in one and more, and more interest in the other. But for, from my point of view, the, the wider global effect uh, will be, there'll, there'll be one story that will have wider global effects. So the second one does have a lot of global effects also, and I'll get to that. But the first story is what's been going on in Iran. And I have talked about a little bit on previous 
editions here of Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I have spoken about it a little bit, but folks, I hope that you have noticed, and maybe it's from just following my Twitter feed, hopefully you have other news sources other than the mainstream news media in this country because they're not covering this very well, if at all. But over the last six, seven, eight weeks, there have been this string of explosions, sabotage events in Iran. There have been attacks on Iran's uh, backed militia sites in both Syria and now Iraq that happened today uh, or happened over the weekend. And of course, there have been other incidents involving Iranian backed militias and, and things like that. And this, the two main biggest ones were the explosion at the nuclear site Natanz, which had a major, which major damage, as a lot of people believe, has set back Iran's nuclear program by a year or two, maybe three. And Iran's major missile development site was also badly damaged in one of these incidents. We don't know if they were. In the case of the Natanz nuclear site, it looks like the gas tank that powered the nuclear site was sabotaged somehow, probably by cyber hacking. That caused a huge explosion. The missile site situation, we don't really know whether that was a bombing like in the air. Was it a drone attack? Was it someone who set a physical bomb on the ground? We don't know. Um, Then incidents like that spread to what seemed to be, ostensibly seemed to be, uh, civilian infrastructure targets, a petrochemical plant that caught on fire, a shipyard. uh, Again, apparently what people believe to be a civilian shipyard set on fire. Um, then it spread to places like Syria. There have been a, 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 there's been a larger number of Israeli pinpoint pre- precision attacks on Hezbollah and Iranian targets within Syria just in the last few weeks. There was another one over the weekend. And then you had also just before the weekend on Thursday, you had what was supposedly an Iranian passenger jet, and it was an Iranian passenger jet. But I'll give a, a, but this, there's one important footnote here. There was an Iranian passenger jet that was flying over Syria, and it was buzzed, as they say. That is the, that is the aeronautical term for someone coming really close to your aircraft with another aircraft. And it was buzzed by a, a U.S. F-15 jet fighter, which came very close to that, uh, that passenger jet, and it was forced to drop in altitude by a tremendous amount in a short amount of time. I guess there were some injuries on the plane. So that was another incident that happened. Just put this all together in your mind because I'm going to tie it all together in a moment. And then on Sunday morning, there were major attacks and explosions at Iranian-backed militia sites, militia bases in Iraq. Now, many of you know that Iran pretty much controls almost all of Iraq right now. Iraq was always about 60% Shia versus Sunni. So there was always a danger of Iran taking you know, the, the Shiite sort of leader of the pack that Iran is. There was always a danger that Iran would somehow, they've always been very much wanting to control Iraq and, and feeling that they have a natural right to it because it's, you know, there's a, there's a slight majority of, uh, of, of Shia Muslims there. Um, but, and so there are quite a few of these Iranian-backed militias. They're, they're Iraqis, but they're Shiite Iraqis, Shiite Iraqis. And they have a number of military bases there that, you know, do a lot of terror and other kinds of activities within Iraq and other places. They've also been acting as conduits for weapons deliveries from Iran to Syria going through Iraq. They make it very, you make it much easier for that to happen. And on Sunday morning, a couple of those sites were heavily attacked. Um, the militias there are blaming the Israelis for it, although there may have been an American Apache helicopter there, so it may have been the Americans. I think it's either the Israelis or the Americans, and that's that the latest event that's happened. 
Now, all this stuff's put together, and again, I'm going to pause here for a second. You can see my entire columns about this on my Twitter feed. I've written about this story and the next story I'm going to tell you about in just a moment. But these are scoops that I have. I have two very pretty good sources that have told me that all of these explosions, and again, not that hard to believe the first part they told me, which is that they're all kind of connected. All these attacks on Iran's sites within the Iranian nation and also outside of Iran are connected. That's not that hard to believe. We kind of realized that in the first place. But the reason is, and this is the, this is the new part of the story, and this is the exclusive part of the story that I have, the reason is that two very highly, pe- highly placed people in the Iranian military regime have basically turned to our side, have turned on the regime. You can call them moles, you can call them defectors, whatever you want to call them. They are now providing the United States and Israel with the, the names and, and locations of places where, for example, supposedly civilian locations that have Iranian weapons either in development or being hidden there. So that petrochemical plant, maybe it was a chemical weapons plant. Or part of it was being used for that. Makes a lot of sense. The shipyard where some boats you know, were, were, were set on fire, probably a, a place where weapons were being shipped over to, to either the Houthis maybe in Yemen, that's an Iranian-backed uh, revolutionary group, or again, Hezbollah, or who else? You know, a lot of other terrorists. You know, Iran has got its finger in so many terrorist pots, who knows how many, how, how many people could have been the recipient of some kind of weaponry that were coming out of that shipyard. And then, of course, the buzzing of that passenger jet, there is evidence that there were either weapons on that passenger jet and or another top Iranian commander on that jet in the United States was making it clear that we knew exactly what was going on on that supposedly civilian flight. That's the kind of stuff that happens when you have highly placed people in a military regime basically unveiling all of the secrets that Iran has. And I would say, as I said in the, in the article I've written about it, the column, which was also a news analysis article, the, there is basically, there are, there's effectively no secret operations anymore from the Iranian regime. The Iranians' secrets are completely unveiled now to both the United States and Israel. And the United States and Israel are saying, we know all of your secrets. There's no place you can hide. There are no weapons that you can hide anywhere without us knowing about them. There are no infrastructure sites that we can't hit because we, we have this information. Now, Israel and the United States obviously have powerful militaries, but it doesn't matter how powerful they are. If they, it, it, this is the kind of stuff that takes espionage and or defectors, moles, whatever you want to call them. This is the kind of information that is just coming at such a rapid pace and is so diverse in the way that it, it's being carried out that this could only be the work of some form of espionage, and in this case, really better than espionage, someone who's really just handing us in the information. And that's what's going on. That's what my sources tell me. I have a number of high-placed sources. I want to say something about sources here for a second. If you are someone who is a little bit skeptical when you hear a journalist or a news organization quote sources, that's good. That's good. I'm not going to dissuade you for a minute to be skeptical. Um, but in this case, again, you should understand the reason why I'm saying sources is not because I made it up. It's because I can't say the na- their names for their own protection. There are some people out there, <laughs> since, the story I pu- since I published the story over the weekend, who have tried to either denigrate my sources, pretend like, and, and do the mansplaining thing. I know maybe you know that term. It's supposedly uh, only supposed to, uh, to denote uh, men who act like they know what they're talking about and sort of talk down to women. But a man can be mansplained to also. This happens to me all the time. People who, who actually have maybe a tenth of the knowledge that I do about a particular t- topic or a tenth of the experience about a particular topic and talk to me like they know better. 
Uh, a number of them have been saying, like, well, you know, you can't trust those sources. It's a little bit of mansplaining, and it's also another trick that some people try to play, which is denigrating someone's sources. You know, you can't. I'm not naming my sources to protect them. So somebody else attacks them and says, "Oh, your sources are baloney," to try to trick me into defending them, and in, in, and in so doing, giving away a clue or two about who they are. Nice try. I'm not going to do that. So don't try to attack my sources, my anonymous sources, in the hopes that I might give away something about them as I defend them. I'm not going to say any more about it, other than I can't give away their names. I'm protecting them. I'm protecting my sources, and I trust them. Anyway. Uh, this is a very important development. One would hope now that other dissidents within Iraq or other pe- uh, Iran or other people who are very high up in the government there who are you know, th- thinking a little bit about their futures will see that they will not be alone if they join in with some of these other folks trying to undermine the regime, this, this murderous, murderous regime that's been in control for 41 years, way too long. It's a real embarrassment to the world and that so many people are still beholden to this ridiculously murderous regime and it's time for it to go so i would certainly hope that these events act as a catalyst for other people and and also it'd be really nice if europe and other countries that still prop up iran and there's plenty of people in this country especially in our news media who prop up iran as well would stop would stop because it's a murderous regime regime they kill so many of their own people and and our people as well it needs to end so that's one of the stories you'll find. You'll find it on my Twitter feed. You'll find it on my LinkedIn page. It's about what's going on with all these explosions, and, and it has a little bit more of an explanation to it. The other major story that I was able to break this week, again, from a very highly placed source, and, another, and, and two sources, really, but, but really one highly placed source, uh, is what's going on with this whole Jeff Bezos embarrassing nude picture story. I don't want to get into the details of it. I know there are a lot of people who are uncomfortable with this, with this uh, subject matter, as I am as well. But suffice it to say, two years ago, Jeff Bezos had some embarrassing photos on his phone that got out into the public. It ended up exposing the fact that he was having an extramarital affair. The whole nastiness came out. And instead of admitting that he was just careless with his phone, instead of saying, like, look, I got caught, let's move on, and he did that with his wife. He he had a divorce with his wife, and the whole thing is over. And now he's with this girlfriend who he sent these embarrassing photos to. And they're together now, maybe they'll get married. But instead of just saying, this is a mistake and I got caught, let's let it go, for some reason, Jeff Bezos decided to, and his security guru, security I would call him even a Svengali because I think he's mostly full of baloney, Gavin DeBecker, who is the head of Jeff Bezos' security detail, decided to make a big incident out of this. Now, at first, they blamed the fact that these photos became public on the brother of the woman who is now his girlfriend. His name is Michael Sanchez. That's the brother. The girlfriend's name is Lauren Sanchez. Then they sort of moved into something, another territory, which makes this a much more important story rather than, if you think I'm just doing a gossip page six thing, you're wrong. Because as you, if you know the story, I've been following it, late in 2018 and going into 2019, the Bezos team changed their story to, no, 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 the Saudi Arabian government hacked the Bezos phone with an intricate WhatsApp message that Bezos picked up, and that's the fo- that's how the photos got out there. It was because of Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman and Saudi Arabia trying to get to Bezos, trying to attack him because he had been critical of the Saudi government and because they thought this would help President Trump. Uh, it was a convoluted conspiracy theory to begin with. I mean, if that sounds like a stretch to you and crazy to you, you're right, because Remember, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world involved in some very, very sensitive businesses. If they wanted to compromise him, believe it or not, embarrassing pictures that he was sent to a girlfriend would not even be the biggest thing. They could get a lot more money elsewhere. 
But I ended up talking to a bunch of security experts, hacking experts in Israel and in India and in the United States, and they all told me that the official report that the security guy, Gavin DeBecker, for Jeff Bezos put out explaining the phone hack made no technical sense. And when I heard that, I started to get very involved in trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And so the scoop that I have now that I wrote about basically talks about the whole situation there and how the... Bezos and the, and the girlfriend, Lauren Sanchez, have known for a long time that basically both stories aren't true, but they certainly know that the story of the brothers t- taking the photos and selling them isn't true. And you can read about what that all means. Again, this to me has global, has global ramifications because it, it, weakening the U.S.-Saudi relationship now, especially in the midst of what's going on with Iran, as and you know, Saudi Arabia is a mortal enemy of Iran, is a dangerous thing to do. So instead of just admitting that he got embarrassed... And instead of, you know, in the case of Jeff Bezos, and instead of just admitting that he dropped the ball on his job, in the case of Gavin DeBecker, the security guy, they decided to concoct this whole thing, which you know, could, could have caused a major international incident. It sort of did, actually, because the Saudis had to sort of deny it and it got nasty. But it, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, I guess Jeff Bezos is worth $190 billion. Well, humility and, and admitting a mistake apparently is worth more to him than the $190 billion because he could have a financial settlement with, with the people that, that did this, that he, you know, that he falsely accused and have it, have it be over with. But he won't admit that they made a mistake. And to me, this is really dangerous. I mean, this is like, this is like James Bond-level villain-type guy. Like, this is a guy who has a lot of money and a lot of power, who made a mistake, got embarrassed, and, you know, you know, hopefully he won't do anything tremendously violent over him, but he could have really caused some serious problems with Saudi Arabia over this. And Saudi Arabia, these are not great, righteous people. I understand that. But they're an important ally right now for the United States and Israel. And for that relationship to be compromised over some guy who, who was careless with embarrassing pictures over his phone is, is not w- the, the way I want to see this go down. So let's, let, let's, let, let's, let's think about that just for a second. Um, so those are the two stories. Again, if you follow my Twitter feed at Jake, Jake NY, you will see the, the links to both of those stories. It's a little bit easier to find if you're on my LinkedIn page. It's just Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K. You'll find that they're published there and you'll see exactly, uh, again, this is stuff you will not see anywhere else. Um, and, uh, including some details in the Jeff Bezos story that were left out of even the major tabloids, the Daily Mail, which is the big tabloid daily newspaper, in, in, in London and in, in Great Britain did not have some of the details that I had in the story. So it's not every day that I can scoop somebody like that. And as far as Iran is, no one is reporting this. Now, for those of you who make the argument, well, why would Jake Novak let everybody know that there's a couple of moles within the Iranian system? Doesn't that alert the Iranian regime? And couldn't those guys get in trouble? Good question and fair question. The Getting back to that Iran story, the reason is I happen to know that the Iranians do know that they've had these some kind of defector, at least one or two of them, for a while now. Now, if they had, didn't know that, if they for some, for some reason were not able to put two and two together and I was told that they didn't know that, I would not have reported it. But my sources tell me the Iranians know, they just don't know who those folks are. So I'm not giving them any new information. They already knew that all these explosions and attacks were tied to people who have given away the information of the United States and Israel. They knew that already. And that's all I'm saying. <laughs> they knew that, that, this was, that these attacks were tied together and that they were provided by some kind of defectors, moles, whatever you want to call them, 
within the Iranian regime. So I haven't given them any information. I'm just letting the world know about it, which is something that they desperately don't want anyone. The Iranian regime is, very, is going to be very upset at seeing that story if they haven't seen it already. And there are apologists here in the United States, of which there are quite a few. And some of them are paid directly or indirectly by Iran. So look for that. Although, again, if they get away from the one story they cover a day, I don't know if it'll be Iran. But if there is any coverage of the story in the next couple of days, look to see if the mainstream news media trot out any of the usual suspect type people who, who apologize for Iran and pr- try to play cover for them. One of them is Ben Rhodes, who used to be an official in the Obama administration. Another is a woman named Hillary Mann Leverett who has been paid indirectly by the Iranians for a long time to do their PR for them on news programs. So that's just those two major stories this week. I hope you catch them. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'll speak to you again next week.